it's possible that a gruff exterior goes beyond just personality quirks. Here's Trent Griffith. It's not that you're tough, it's that you've got a hard heart and you don't like to be told things that need to change. And you build up walls and push people away and you certainly are gonna put yourself under somebody else's authority, especially God. That's what life is like before we come to Christ. But now that we come to Christ, you're to have a soft heart. That doesn't mean you're, you're somehow soft. It just means that you're tender, you're pliable, you're moldable, and you are always wanting to change for the better. So are you tough? Or is it that you have a hard heart? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Think about change for a moment. We just experienced the transition from fall to winter. The seasons are pretty obvious changes we can easily recognize. And how about this? Did you ever watch the metamorphosis of a caterpillar as it changed into a butterfly? Isn't it amazing? Today, Pastor Trent is going to show us from God's Word that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there are some spiritual changes that actually happen as well. Let's listen together. Here's Pastor Trent. So I hope you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter four. We've been walking through this particular book verse by verse. Our series is called Walk Worthy. And so we're talking about some deeper conviction. This morning, we're gonna talk about some deeper conviction that we need to have about the subject of change. When was the last time that you were so convicted about something that needed to change in your life that it brought you to tears. Anytime this week, uh, in the past month, in the past decade, are we getting warmer at this point? Now, let me ask you, let, let me ask the question a different way. How many of you know somebody right now that needs to change? Was, is that hard to come up with a, a couple of names? Right. How many of you were sitting next? We won't ask uh, <laughs> that question. But listen, is there somebody that you have had such a heavy burden for that you've actually shed tears over something that needed to change in their life? In the last week? Last month? You know, it's quite likely that for most of us, we have shed tears over something that needed to change in somebody else's life. A, a child, a parent friend, spouse, and yet it has been a long time since we have felt the conviction of God so strongly that we were brought to tears over something in our life that needed to change. Well, what we're about to look at are some things that need to change. And I want you to see the word picture that is supplied for us in the scripture. Don't you love it when there's word pictures in the Bible? Look at verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 4. And he says this. He says, put off your old self. And look it down at verse 24. And put on the new self. Put off and put on. What do you think of when you think about putting something on or putting something off? I think about 
uh, a wardrobe here. Now, how many of you understand that the Apostle Paul, at the time that he was writing this, probably did not walk into a walk-in closet and kind of pick out his outfits for the next few weeks? Probably not a whole lot of variety or selection back in the day. Back in the day, when somebody put off some clothing, it was because it was worn out, smelly, dirty, and it didn't work anymore. And then you had to really work hard to try to find something new to put on. It wasn't deciding between 14 different selections, right? Something was worn out, something wasn't working, something else had to be put on. Very different than the experience that I have on a typical Sunday morning. Can I give you a little insight into the Griffith household? About 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. This is what happens. I walk into my closet and I use all of my fashion sense to prepare something to put on. And so I do my best and I walk out of that closet and face four females who are there to judge me. And they look at me and one in particular usually puts her hand on her hip, sticks it out like this and says, where do you think you're going dressed like that? You need to change. And so she sends me back in and she spits, spits me up a little better. And so uh, here, here's the analogy that Paul is using. He is actually using this analogy for the regular, normal, daily Christian life. Do you know what he's trying to say? Where in the world do you think you're going dressed like that for crying out loud? That is not going to work. That is worn out. That is old. You need to put on something new. And so there is a continual daily process of change that takes place in a believer's life. Now, I've talked to some Christians, and it, it, it baffles my mind to hear them kind of describe what they think Christianity is like. There are some people, maybe it's you, that think all of the change that took place or that needed to take place somehow miraculously happened in the moment that you got saved in the moment that you became a Christian. Now, certainly that is a radical change. That changes our legal standing before God. It changes our eternal destiny. But that is not the finish line of change. That is the starting place of change. And we change gradually over and over and over as we put off the old self and put on the new self. Some Christians think somehow that God is kind of blind to all the dysfunction in your life and all the things that need to change. Now listen, God sees you through the blood of Christ, but He also sees all of the unfinished business that is still needed to change. And so we're going to talk about change here as we walk through this. And I want you to see it beginning back up in verse 17. Here's, here's what we need to understand. Uh, change begins when you get a new perspective. When I walk out of my closet wearing whatever clothes that I picked out, I didn't know it was ugly until my daughters looked at me and said, dad, that's not going to work for you. Okay. It, they gave me a, a new perspective. One of the, the shows that our, our children used to watch, I don't think it's on anymore, but it's called the show, What Not to Wear. <laughs> right? Well, that's, that's kind of the title of this message. This is what not to wear for a Christian. And he begins it here in verse 17. He says this, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord. 
I find it interesting that he's kind of redundant here. Do you see the two words? He's got something to say and he's got something to testify. Why is he he redundant there? Well, the word testify is very important. It gives us a clue into the urgency of what we're talking about. The word testify is translated from the Greek word that we get our English word martyr from. A martyr is someone who at the risk of his life is willing to say some things unapologetic, unafraid, because the urgency of the moment. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, I, I want you to know, hear me loud and clear, this is not an optional matter for you. This is at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is always in the process of change. Now listen, I'm speaking to Christians here, but in any crowd this size, I'm sure there are a few non-Christians. Only two types of people in the room, Christians and non-Christians. Or if you're an optimist, pre-Christian. Because we can take care of that before the end of this service, okay? I mean, all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ, understand what He did on that cross was for a dirty, rotten sinner like you, and you need to change. Now that doesn't mean that you now become all cleaned up. It just means that you get started in the process of cleaning up. So there's only two types of people, Christians and non-Christians. But for a Christian, the process of change is an urgent matter. And so Paul says, you may kill me for saying this. I'm going to say it anyway. Even if it makes me a martyr, I've got some things to say and to testify in the Lord. And this is it. Gulp real hard. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, you, this is fascinating. It, it might sneak up on you if you're not paying attention. Back up in chapter 3, verse 1, he calls the people he's writing to Gentiles. He says, you Gentiles. So he's writing to a local church in a historical place in Ephesus where there had been a church established and predominantly the members of this church were Gentiles. Predominantly, I'm sure that for most of us, 99% of us, we're, we're Gentiles. So what is a Gentile? Well, ethnically speaking, a Gentile is somebody who's not a Jew. They didn't receive the promises of God in the Old Testament, the covenant promises. They didn't have all the revelation of the Old Testament. They weren't part of the Hebrew people that were led out of Egypt captivity and crossed the Red Sea and all that history that you read about in the Old Testament. And so every other person that's not a Jew in the world was a Gentile. That is who Paul was writing to. And then he gets to chapter 4 and says, you must no longer walk as a Gentile. And if you were sitting in that church, you might have scratched your head, but wait a minute, I am a Gentile. And I'm not supposed to walk as a Gentile? You see, apparently, when you receive Christ, the change is so radical that it completely changes your identity. And even though ethnically they were a Gentile, were Gentiles, spiritually speaking, they had a brand new identity. And that brand new identity as a follower of the Lord gave them a new perspective on what they were like while they, before they had received Christ. And so the question is, well, if I'm not supposed to walk as a Gentile, what's your question? What's your question? How does a Gentile walk? 
Good question. The answer is supplied at the end of verse 17. What does it say? Uh, Gentiles walk in the, uh, what is it? The futility of their minds. Futility is another word for vanity or emptiness. It means to be meaningless, to have no purpose or direction. Now, if you had come up to me before I became a Christian and asked me to describe my life, I probably wouldn't tell you, yeah, my life is just kind of futile. It's just bad. But that is the perspective you must come to before you are willing to change. Nobody's going to change. I can't convince you to change until you understand that the way that you're walking is empty, meaningless, full of vanity and futile. And it's not until the Holy Spirit convicts you that the life you're living is futile that you would sense the need for change. Paul goes on in verse 18 and begins to give us an even better description of what it was like to live outside of Christ. So what does it look like for a person who's living outside of Christ? He gives us a seven-layer description. Here's what he says. They are, speaking of these Gentiles, that we're talking about just a non-Christian, they are darkened in their understanding, they're alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now listen, when you are living as a non-Christian, you don't even know that that is the description of your life until God begins to give you a new perspective. You see, for me, I thought I was doing just fine. I mean, I went to school and uh, I took biology, philosophy, psychology, had some technology. And so I thought I was pretty enlightened. I, I thought that, man, there's, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I thought I was enlightened. But then when you, God gives you a new perspective, you realize I was darkened in my understanding. It's kind of like the permacloud that kind of hovers over Michiana in, in February. It just kind of, it's just kind of dark and gloomy and you don't even know that the sun is still out there sometimes. And so that's the understanding. And what Paul is saying, if you're going to change and if you have been changed, if you've become a Christian, you do not want to continue to walk the way you once walked and the way you once walked was darkened in your understanding. You see, I thought I was, I thought that God was kind of unconcerned or uninvolved in the world, but then I realized I was alienated from the life of God. And this is the testimony of everybody who's now walking with Christ. Your testimony is probably something like this. I wasn't necessarily thinking I was a bad person. I was kind of religious. And if you'd asked me if I believed in God, I probably would have said yes. And but he just, he just seemed really distant. And it's like, can you really know what he's like? And can you really have a relationship with him? Does he actually speak to you? And, and do, you, do you really have this relationship that's close? But I look around the world, there's so much tragedy. And I look at the hurt and the heartache in my life and lack of money and sickness. And it's like, 
God, where are you? You seem kind of unconcerned about these things that are really burdens on my heart. And if you really loved me, it seemed like you'd step in the middle of this and fix it. And either you're unconcerned or maybe you're concerned, but you're kind of uninvolved. And so if you're good, then why don't you change it? Oh, maybe you're good, but you don't have the power to change it. And so I don't even know. No, listen, when God flips the switch, you realized it's not that God was unconcerned and uninvolved. It's that you were alienated from the life of God. You're spiritually dead. And so, of course, you have all this question about God that seems so distant. And so God is saying, now that you are a Christian, you are not to walk as one who is alienated from God, questioning God, calling God into judgment. But you are to live as one who now has the life of God on the inside of you and you understand his will and his ways. Before you become a Christian, you think that truth is unknowable. But then you realize it's not that truth was unknowable. It's just that you are ignorant. I'm from Oklahoma. It only has two syllables in Oklahoma. Ignorant. Now, to be ignorant does not mean that you are stupid. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are not stupid. You are just ignorant. Okay? Just say that. Now, that's not a slam. We use that in a derogatory sense. That That is not a derogatory term. As a matter of fact, it it should make you sympathetic toward an ignorant person. Ignorant just simply means uninformed. And what a person who is living outside of Christ is, is uninformed or unaware that there is objective truth. And so what we think is that truth is just something you make up. Truth is probably found deep down in the inner recesses of your soul. And if you'll just stop and meditate and get in touch with your inner being, you can find the truth deep down on the inside. But of course, that truth is truth for you, but it may not be true for somebody else. And so don't use your truth to cast judgment on somebody else. And this is what the world is living in. And it's all because they are alienated from the life of God and they are ignorant of the truth. But when God flips the switch, he gives you a new perspective and you realize truth is not something you make up. Truth is something you hear because God has spoken what is true. And truth is something that is true for you and every person who has ever lived in every place at any time. And so truth can be known. And when God gives you a new perspective, you have this reality you didn't have before. And God is saying, now that you're a Christian, are you a Christian? He's like, you've got to live as one who knows the truth, who is aware. Don't be ignorant of things that God has spoken. He goes on and he talks about how we have a, had a hard heart. You see, at one time I thought that I was just kind of tough. You have to be tough to survive in a world like this, right? You got to be strong. You got to be an independent thinker, right? You can't let people brainwash you and push you around. You got to stand up for your rights if you're tough. And we see that as a virtue. And yet when God flips the switch, you realize, no, it's not that you're tough. It's that you've got a hard heart. And you're unteachable. And you don't like to be told things that need to change. 
and you build up walls and push people away, and you certainly are going to put yourself under somebody else's authority, especially God. That's what life is like before we come to Christ. But now that we come to Christ, you're to have a soft heart. That doesn't mean you're, you're somehow soft. It just means that you're tender, you're pliable, you're moldable, and you are always wanting to change for the better. So are you tough? Or is it that you have a hard heart? The next thing he says is these people are calloused. You see, you may think, no, I've just got thick skin. I got thick skin. That, that's what I am. I mean, if you knew the life that I'd lived and the abuses that I've been involved in, the way that people have mistreated me and been knocked around by this world, I mean, I'm a survivor. And I've got thick skin. Really? When God flips the switch, you realize, no, you've just, got, you've just become calloused. You know what a callous is? Layers of skin that builds up over time that deadens the sensitivity of the nerve endings. Years ago, when I was in college, I had a, a job. I worked at a funeral home, which has given me built-in sermon illustrations for the rest of my life. But uh, uh, one particular day, my assignment was to climb a ladder and change a light bulb um, kind of on the second story. It was a floodlight, outdoor floodlight. And interestingly, it had become flooded. There had been water get in there. And so when I twisted it, the whole thing broke off in my hand. And it cut my pinky really deep. It just took a big old chunk of meat out of there. It was bleeding like crazy. It was the worst. Aren't you glad you came to church? And, so, and, and it just is the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. And as that thing began to heal over the next few weeks, there were layers and layers of extra skin. Apparently, my body thought I was going to do this often. And so uh, it built up an extra layer of protection. And what once was the most sensitive part of my body, you couldn't touch it without it putting excretionary pain through my body. Now, 30 years later, there's still scars and calluses there. Why? To prevent me from feeling pain. Do you know why some people can come to church and never sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? It's not that God isn't speaking. It's you've got calluses built up over the sensitive places in your heart. And you're not to be that way. Especially now as a Christian. You're not to be calloused. You're to be tender-hearted. You're to be sensitive. You're to be leaning in and listening and asking God to speak because when He speaks, it changes us. And it changes what we seek, and it changes what we see. But not if you're calloused. And then Paul says this. He says that they were given over to sensuality. You see, once I thought I was exercising my freedom. But then I realized, no, I, I wasn't free. I was enslaved to sensuality. Do you see the term there, sensuality? So most of the time we think of that in a sexual sense, and certainly it includes all that, but it's even more than that. Sensuality just means that you are constantly going on a search for something that will please one of your five senses. Something you see, smell, touch, taste, or hear. And in any one of those areas, you can be enslaved to. And when everything that you're doing is 
futile. You're constantly looking for the next thing to bring a pleasure sense. There's a pleasure center in your brain. And when one of those senses activates something pleasurable, it gives you a sense of pleasure. But it's always short-lived, futile, meaningless, because you always have to find the next thing to bring the sensation. It's something we call the law of diminishing returns. Do you know what that is? What satisfied me today will not satisfy me tomorrow. It will take more of that sensual pleasure. And that's why we become addicted to things as simple as Krispy Kreme donuts or shopping or social media or a relationship or pornography. It's all sensuality. And we think we're free, but God shows us a new perspective. We're not to be like that. And you are not now to live the way you once lived. That's your old self. That's to be put off. You're to put on the new self. And then there's one other thing here. He says this at the end of verse 19. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's almost as if he's kind of using that as a junk drawer. Everything else you could possibly imagine. It, I don't have a category for it. It just all goes into this category of every kind of impurity. And it uses the word greedy. We usually think of greedy as like greedy for money. It includes that. But here it's just talking about this insatiable desire for more. I just want more. And the reason you want more is because nothing ever satisfies So when I was outside of Christ, I thought I could find satisfaction somewhere in something or someone. But one day God graciously turns the light on and I realize everything I tried left me empty. Now listen, this is a message for Christians. But it could be that right now you're finally figuring out why you're so miserable. Because you have tried to satisfy God-given desires in God-forbidden ways. And it's left you dissatisfied, empty, and maybe today for the first time, God's giving you a new perspective. I need to change. This is not working out too great. And if you are a Christian, you must no longer walk the way you once walked in the futility of your minds. Remember how futile that life was. Spiritual transformation isn't something that we can muster up on our own, yet it does take a lot of work. That's Trent Griffith of Gospel City Church, helping us gain a deeper conviction about spiritual change in our own lives. He'll finish this message next week right here on Resonate. You know, once you become a Christian, God starts working on changing you. He gives you that new perspective on yourself and on life itself, but he also expects you to have a part in it as well. So you need to soak your mind in the word of God, the Bible, read it, think about it, and then live it out. And you need to go to church. You need to sit under godly preaching and rub shoulders with other believers as well. If you don't have a church home, why not visit Gospel City Church? That starts by heading to our website, mygospelcity.org. 
you can click or tap where you see, I'm new here. There, you'll find answers to whatever questions you might have. Again, our website is mygospelcity.org. Then, join us soon for a worship service. I hope you will. Well, I have a question for you. Would your life be better described with words like bitter and angry or tenderhearted and forgiving? Pastor Trent will talk more about that next week right here on Resonate. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that the transforming Word of God would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.